Um, It's a pleasure to to open up God's Word this morning. Um, It is a bit unusual seeing you with your masks on uh, as uh, as I preach this morning, but it's 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 a gift to gather. That's not the circumstance for all people across our globe. It's been a difficult uh, past year, 2020, and uh, whilst we've had the privilege of gathering as a church family on many a weekend throughout a complex 2020, many churches across the globe have had, had trouble with that. Um, and so today we're actually going to be uh, studying a psalm, uh, a psalm of lament, uh, Psalm 13, as Brendo said. And uh, uh, before I read it, um, a little shout out to some of the kids here in the room or perhaps online. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here and uh, to ha- perhaps maybe help you engage a little bit. Uh, as, I, as I teach through this psalm, uh, if you would like to listen out for the mystery word or the secret word, uh, which is trust or trustworthy, and tell me how many times I say that throughout the, uh, the sermon, uh, you can come and tell me at the end of the sermon. Uh, there will be a gift for you, but it won't be till next week. I forgot to bring the gifts today. So, uh, and adults here, you aren't included. You can't do the counting. Uh, you need to do the listening. Uh, but kids, count how many times you hear the word trust or trustworthy uh, as I preach through this psalm. Let's read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, what a privilege and a gift it is to gather as a church family. And we're aware that around the globe, that's not the case for everyone. We want to give thanks for that this morning. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bring clarity and conviction this morning as we study Psalm 13. We thank you for the example of the psalmist in this psalm, and we ask that it would change our hearts this morning. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, it's been an interesting time. On a global scale in 2020, it was an interesting year, a difficult year. The beginning of 2020, a raging inferno, as a raging inferno ravaged communities and homes and ecosystems across Australia a small yet deadly virus began to spread across the globe. We've seen political unrest, racism, fear, violence. It was actually only a couple of days ago that the global death toll from the coronavirus clicked over 2 million in 12 months. Not to mention the disruption to local communities, to businesses, border closures, the difficulty of visiting family and friends, both locally and internationally. 
And yet these challenges might not even begin to scratch the surface of some of the personal challenges that perhaps you have faced this year, or perhaps family or friends that you know of have faced this year. Chronic ill health, the loss of a loved one, mental health challenges, relational breakdown, financial ruin. Without a doubt, we all experience and will walk through and will will walk with others through periods of hardship and absolute despair in this life. And I'm not talking about just tough days or weary weeks, but persistent and enduring hardship that has taken people to their wit's end, to a point of absolute despair. How do we walk with God through difficult times? How do we honour God and navigate these difficult circumstances as followers of Jesus? What's a biblical framework uh, of walking through hardship and despair? The Bible is filled with songs of sorrow, psalms of lament that offer a biblical model for trusting God in difficult circumstances. To lament is to passionately express grief and sorrow. And it's important to point out that this is different to just crying or complaining about our circumstances. Because lament is a form of prayer by which we communicate, communicate to God our concerns, our pain, our heartache, with the intended purpose of helping us to renew our confidence and trust in our God. As Mark Vrogop puts it quite helpfully, lament helps us to turn towards God when sorrow tempts us to run from him. And so as we study Psalm 13 today, we will see a biblical example of what it looks like in the midst of difficulty, despair and hardship to turn towards God with renewed confidence and trust in his steadfast love. And I'm sure there are people in this room today walking through some considerable challenges that perhaps maybe we aren't aware of, or perhaps only a small few of us are aware of. And I do want to just pause to acknowledge that this is a sensitive topic, a difficult topic, and I want to be sensitive to that today. But I do believe that Psalm 13 offers a message of hope. A step forward in our difficulty and a great comfort in our suffering. And so I've titled the sermon today, Trust in a Time of Despair. And if there's sort of one takeaway message for us today, it would be this, that in times of hardship and despair, we can trust in the steadfast love of God. Three points to help us kind of understand this. Point one, the psalmist example of this. Point two, Christ's example of this. And then point three, our response in light of this. Point one, the psalmist example. During times of hardship and despair, it's often hard to know how we actually trust in God's, uh, in God's steadfast love during our suffering. In God's kindness, the Psalms of Lament offers us, offers us, offer us a biblical framework for that. Typically, a psalm of lament will include sort of three essential elements. 
Element one, turning to God and offering our complaint. Element two, asking boldly for help. And then element three, choosing to trust God. And so we're going to look at this psalm through those three elements. Our first element, turning to God and offering our complaint. In verses one and two of the psalm, we see this first element unfolding. Verse one and two, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must they take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In my mind, there's no more tangible expression of pain and despair than the sound of a woman expressing pain through labour. I remember when I witnessed this firsthand, I was in absolute shock. I just, I was literally a stunned, I didn't know what to do. And the midwife came to me and gave me a wet cloth and said, just pad your wife's head. And so that, I was just, I was so taken back by the, the grief and the pain uh, that my wife was experiencing in that moment. And the point I, I want to make is that like groans of pain and anguish from a woman in labour are the opening words of a psalm of lament, a deep expression of hurt. Raw, honest emotion. God, this is how I feel. Psalms of Lament traditionally kind of open with a sort of emotional dump, the type of verbal offload maybe a family member might give at the beginning of an argument. They've been holding this in, bottling it up, and then out it comes. It's deep expression of the inner feelings and thoughts of the individual a gut-wrenching cry of affliction, a release of pain and despair that the person is feeling. And so in this psalmist context, in the midst of affliction, at the hands of his enemies, the psalmist is expressing a deep sense of abandonment. We don't know exactly the circumstances of the psalmist at the time of the writing, but it's clear it's not been a short moment in time. This has been ongoing affliction. Four times he says, how long? How long? How long? How long, O Lord? This expression is used to give the sense the psalmist has been oppressed for some time and that God is not responding to his prayers. And yet what's helpful to note in this expression of sorrow is that the psalmist is not simply screaming into a pillow Uh, about his circumstances. He says, how long, O God? It's directed towards his heavenly Father. Question after question, he pours out his lament. Will you forget me forever? It's as though he feels forgotten already. How long will you hide your face from me? It's as though God has turned his back on him in his trial. Perhaps this deep expression of lament, of sorrow, the sense of abandonment, maybe it resonates with you right now. In this heartfelt cry of the afflicted, there is something reassuring to know that King David, the psalmist, a man after God's own heart, at a moment of despair, 
He writes as well in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The man that wrote those words in his moment of despair writes, How long will you forget me forever? Perhaps that's maybe your lived experience. Perhaps right now you are walking through some challenging circumstances and you are feeling at your wit's end. A sense that God has indeed abandoned you. Can I encourage you to take comfort in the honest, unfiltered words of the psalmist? In the midst of despair, we can turn to God and offer our frustrations, our struggles, our questions. To lament is to turn towards God and express our heartache. And so perhaps one question that we might find ourselves asking at this point as we study this psalm is, well, where is the line? At what point does our deep, raw, emotional expression of our feelings, when does it become sinful? When does it become dishonouring of God? How do we lament well? Well, the key difference here is that a lament is always involving God's people turning towards him and not away from him. The temptation is to turn our backs on God in anger and blame, to cease praying, to direct our complaint towards others and not to our Heavenly Father. Verses 1 through 4 of this psalm, the psalmist is directly addressing God, turning towards him and expressing his anxiety and anguish in his circumstance. For example, Israel in their stubbornness, as as they wander through the wilderness, they complain about God. And we see that time and time again. But in this instance, the complaint is directed towards God. And so when it comes to discerning whether ours or perhaps others that we're walking with, uh, their lament is beginning to dishonour God, it usually begins with a heart disposition and whether there is a disposition to turn towards God in your trial. And so in times of hardship and despair, trusting God's steadfast love begins firstly by turning towards him and offering our complaint, and then element two of the psalm of lament by asking boldly for help. In verses three and four, the psalmist begins his petition to God by prayerfully asking for help. Interestingly, in this petition, the psalmist offers motivation for God to act and gives reasons for why his prayer should be answered. Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He's saying, look at my circumstances, God. Give me a response. Give me some sort of action in response to my prayers. Again, in verse 3, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Shine your face upon me. Strengthen me in my affliction, Lord. Open my eyes and show me favour. Answer my prayers, Lord. The psalmist goes on to give reasons for why God should answer his prayers. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. He believes that if God doesn't answer his prayer, he will surely die at the hands of his enemies. Lest my enemy prevails. He believes that as a faithful servant, his enemy is God's enemy. 
that if his enemy triumphs over him, then his enemy is triumphing over God. And so he is petitioning to God, boldly asking for prayer in his moment of affliction. Psalms of lament are often what Paul Miller calls closely reasoned arguments, argumentative prayers directed towards God involving not only passion and raw emotion, but reason as well. The psalmist captures this tension beautifully as he offers a bold and passionate cry for help with clear and rational reason. And so the point is, in times of hardship and despair, we can boldly and rationally ask the Lord for help. We can do this in humility, showing a desire for the Lord to work, a recognition that we do need the Lord to work, that we cannot do anything on our own. To help illustrate this, actually, while we're away, we've just been away as a team on our core team planning retreat, I overheard uh, Charlotte Willis actually make the comment that she's been trying to work with uh, their little boy, the 18-month-old, I think he's 18 months, Elijah, um, that if he needs something, to not just stamp his feet and scream, but to come and ask mummy for help. I just overheard her make that comment as she was sort of talking to some others. And it clicked for me. I said, of course, that's it. We understand that there is an issue with the tone and way in which a small child screams and stamps their feet in their desire for help. We're like, no, that's not on. That's not godly lament. Stamping and screaming is unreasonable, irrational demand for help. There is a different tone between a child screaming and stamping their feet and a child coming to their parents and saying, can you please help me? Like a child who humbly comes to a mother earnestly asking for help, so are we to turn towards God and boldly and rationally ask for help. A God-honouring lament is done in humility, showing a desire for the Lord to work, a recognition that we cannot do things on our own. And so perhaps at this point, it's worth pausing for a moment to consider our own circumstances, hardships that we or perhaps maybe those that are close to us are walking through or have walked through. What's one thing that you might humbly and rationally yet boldly ask the Lord for help in? Or perhaps what is the tone at which we are asking for that help? If we believe in the power of prayer and recognise that our need for God's help in our circumstances, then we can turn to him with passion and reason and present our request to him. Maybe you've been petitioning to God for some time and you're feeling discouraged or helpless in your efforts to pray. Can I encourage you? Don't give up. You can trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. Would the psalmist's words be an encouragement to you? May the apparent struggle and despair captured in his words bring a sense of resonance and comfort in your hardship. In times of hardship and despair, trusting God's steadfast love, it begins by turning towards him and offering our complaint. Secondly, by asking boldly for help. And thirdly, our third element of the psalm of lament 
is choosing to trust God. Verses 5 and 6, we see a shift in the tone of the psalmist and we read, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Up until this point, the psalmist's words have been urgent and anxious. The cry of an afflicted soul. And yet in 5 and 6, we notice that change in tone. A confidence and a trust that produces rejoicing in his heart. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in salvation. The psalmist remembers that God is in fact trustworthy. And this gives him confidence in his prayer. And he's able to respond in praise as he anticipates God's rescue and deliverance from his enemies. I remember when I was 21 years of age, a few of my friends, they... um, chipped in some money, and gave me as a gift for my birthday a uh, skydiving experience. And so uh, they, they joined me on the day, and we arrived at the skydiving um, airstrip. And uh, as, as they met with their instructors and went through all the harness things, and like when you jump out of the plane, you need to keep your arms closed and all that sort of thing, I stood lonely, alone, with no instructor. So they're getting all this briefing and safety checks and whatnot. And then they start to actually then get onto the plane. The plane's propellers start to, t- to sort of uh, start. And, uh, and I'm still looking for my instructor. I don't know where my instructor is, but the plane is about to leave. And then out of the blue, he strolls out of the shed and says, G'day, mate, let's go. And uh, you can imagine what I was feeling at that point. I was like, are we going to go through some sort of safety thing before we jump out of the plane? And so I expressed that concern to him. And he said, oh, we'll sort it out on the way up. So we got into the plane, and on the way up, he, sa- he turned to me and he said, did you bring some goggles? And I said, well, I didn't know we needed to bring goggles. Like, you didn't speak to me before we got on the plane to come up into this air. And he said, are you serious? Well, when you jump out of the plane, you're going to have to cover your eyes because the air is going to damage your eyes. And so at that point, I was like, are you serious? I came to jump out of a plane to see the earth, not to close my eyes and not experience it. And to take things to the next step, he eventually gave me some goggles, but to take things to the next uh, step. And you can imagine at this point how I'm feeling about him and about the experience and whatnot. Um, We were the last to get into the plane, as as you know, uh, and it was one of those cargo door planes where like the cargo door just literally opens down and you could literally just run straight out the back of the aeroplane. Because we were the last in, we were the first to jump out. And by this point, he'd got me strapped to him. And he said, oh, look, we'll jump when the light goes green, but um, we'll just get ready. And so he shuffles me, strapped to him, and my toes are on the edge here. I'm looking down at the earth, like the wind is blowing. And then he proceeds to hang me out out the back of the plane, going, whoa, whoa. And you can imagine at that point, my heart was in my mouth. I was feeling fearful and anxious and nervous. Um, and lo and behold, we jumped, and I got to the bottom, and he turned to me and said, do you want to do that again? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> the point of this story is that the instructor showed himself to be totally untrustworthy. His actions gave me very little confidence and security in him. And so the situation for me was marred by fear and anxiety. 
when something is trustworthy and true, certain and secure, it brings peace and confidence and joy. We can trust God in our times of affliction because he has proven to be trustworthy time and time again. The psalmist knows this to be true. And we can trust him as a result of that. Because unlike the skydiving instructor, as we study these scriptures, he has shown throughout history time and time again that he is trustworthy. And none more than when he gave of himself for our salvation. The psalmist knows God is trustworthy because he remembers the covenantal promises of Exodus and his deliverance of of God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land. God has continued to be faithful to the Jewish people and the psalmist remembers this in his lament. This side of the cross for us, as followers of Jesus, we can have confidence in the steadfast love of God because our Saviour, our Lord and King of Kings, has gone before us and shown us the way, even in the midst of his despair. And I actually believe that we witnessed a tangible expression of this trust at our Thanksgiving service a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you were able to sort of listen or you, uh, you were able to visit on that day, but um, it was powerful. We saw many members in our church family who have navigated particularly challenging circumstances in 2020 give thanks to the Lord. The passing of loved ones, life-threatening and chronic ill health, ongoing doubt and deep personal hurt, and yet a confidence and trust in the steadfast love of the Lord through these difficult circumstances. It's beautiful, encouraging. And I know that perhaps there are others in this church that may not have actually shared their story, but have also been examples of what it looks like to trust God despite hardship. We praise God for you. We thank God for you, for your faith and your perseverance under trial. And you know what's beautiful and comforting about trusting in God's steadfast love is that as followers of Jesus, we can look to the one that we put our trust in daily because he has walked this journey of despair before us. And this brings us to our point two, Christ's example. Christ knows what it is to suffer, to lament, to despair in his circumstances, and this is why we can trust in God's steadfast love. When we think about the gospel or the good news of Jesus, the offer of salvation, it's actually a story marred by difficulty and despair. God, the creator, all-powerful, all-knowing, enters into a broken world, the world that he created, a rebellious world, a world marred by sin, a world that's turned its back on its creator. And he sends his son, his beloved son, his perfect son, to restore and rescue and redeem this sinful and rebellious people. And what does his son experience as he enters into this world? as he goes about expressing love and compassion and offering healing, he experiences hatred, anger and violence. To the point that the very people that he comes to save make plans to kill him. 
And it's at this point in the good news story that we read about Jesus in his moment of despair, the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. I'm going to read it now. As we think about Psalms of Lament. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, and for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. This moment in the short life that Jesus lived is a moment of utter despair. When Jesus lamenting, we see Jesus lamenting in his circumstance. Jesus, perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, God of the universe, turning to his heavenly Father, asking boldly for help in his circumstances, and then choosing to trust. As the story continues, we know the plot thickens because as the Son of Man hangs helplessly on the cross, breathing his last breath, he cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God turns his back on his own son in the midst of his son's despair. And he does this for us, for you and I. Because Christ was forsaken, you and I will never be forsaken. The truth of the gospel is that Christ suffered condemnation so that we will never have to experience that. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. When we turn to God in our lament, he will never turn his back on us. He will never forsake us. And so in times of hardship and despair, we can trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. Which brings us to our final point, our response. How do we respond? Having looked at the example of the psalmist and Christ, it is clear that it's okay to lament. To express our heartache and our despair in our situation. And yet fundamentally, lament prayers take faith. Faith in a God who began his plan at creation and will fulfill it in full upon Christ's return. And so it is because of Christ 
that we can cry out to God and ask boldly for help and trust his steadfast love when perhaps on a personal level we experience heartache and despair. The difficulty of a broken marriage, as Brenda has already prayed. The desire for a child, financial ruin, passing of a loved one, chronic ill health. It is because of Christ that we can cry out to God and ask boldly for help and trust his steadfast love when perhaps at a community level we prayerfully walk with friends or family or gospel community members who are experiencing significant hardship in their lives. It is because of Christ that we can cry out to God and ask boldly for help and trust in his steadfast love when at a national level We witness communities destroyed by fire, political unrest, drought, threats of terrorism. It is because of Christ that we can cry out to God and ask boldly for help and trust in his steadfast love when at a global level we witness the spread of a deadly virus or the devastation of war or famine or natural disasters or the persecution of Christians we can cry out to God and ask boldly for help and trust in his steadfast love. To close, um, as Jesus lies helplessly on the cross at his point of utmost despair, when his father has turned his back on him and he breathes his last breath, what does he do? He draws on the words of lament written in Psalm 31, verse 5, choosing to trust his Father in that moment. Verse 5, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. We have a wonderful example, not only in the Psalms of lament, but more importantly in the example of Christ, That in times of hardship and despair, we can trust in the steadfast love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give thanks that you have given us examples, not only in the psalm of the Lord, an expression of heartfelt emotion in difficult circumstances and an example of what it looks like to trust you in that, Lord. Lord, we want to give thanks that you have given us the example of Christ, who has gone before us in his suffering to the point of death so that we might not have to experience that, that we can trust you, Lord. We thank you that you have shown yourself to be trustworthy. And so this morning, as we are reminded of this, Lord, may it give us hope for those that are walking through difficult circumstances as we speak. May they be reminded of the grace and the mercy and the comfort and the peace and the joy that it is, that is found in you because you are trustworthy. And so, Lord, as we stand and worship you this morning, Lord, give us courage to express that trust today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.